Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry. Welcome back to PR360. On today's show, our guest is Howard Waterman, who is a member of the Two Timers Club here at PR360. This is his second appearance. Uh, He has over two decades of strategic communications, PR, senior executive counsel, and crisis communications experience in senior leadership roles atop top U.S. brands, including Verizon, Moody's Corporation, and tech startups. He is the president and founder of the Waterman Group, a communications consulting solutions company specializing in strategic media relations, brand reputation management, crisis communications, and content generation. He currently serves as chief executive in residence communications at AI2030, whose mission is to harness the transformative power of AI and influence the ethical and responsible progression of AI development. And he began his career as a radio journalist, something near to my heart as somebody who started off in radio, in New York City at 1010 WINS Radio. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Howard. Thank you for having me back. No problem. So you were on PR360 three years ago. Uh, What have you been doing since? Well, thanks for asking. So it's hard to believe it's been three years. Uh, Since I was a guest uh, back in 2021, uh, a lot has been going on. I'll give you a quick rundown. Mm -hmm. Uh, I led the PR and investor relations strategy and execution to help a small telecom company go public in 2021, including getting the CEO to ring the bell that morning at the New York Stock Exchange, which was definitely a bucket lister. That was an amazing experience. I've worked with several interesting clients as a consultant, including one worth mentioning, uh, the National Aerospace Research and Tech Park, which is in southern New Jersey, uh, known as NARTP, N-A-R-T-P. And what we're doing there is we promoted the use of drones oh. to dramatic, dramatically help first responders in emergencies. Oh, wow. That's huge. Really interesting stuff. We did that back back in October, and there's another exercise coming up with the Coast Guard plan for uh, this quarter. And uh, I'm very proud to say I've been appointed, to, uh, appointed uh, and, and uh, asked to be uh to join a number of boards, including some tech startups. One get, great example, and you mentioned that a second ago, mm-hmm. is the Streaming Guide. Uh, the Streaming Guide is focused on helping millions, actually hundreds of millions of consumers navigate way too many streaming options. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about AI in a second, but the Streaming Guide, uh, you know, really will be planning to leverage AI to significantly enhance the user experience for those t- uh, tens or hundreds of millions of people. So a lot going on. And then, uh, you also mentioned, and frankly, I was thrilled to be asked to join the uh, corporate board of directors for AI 2030. Wow. Oh, yeah, and we're going to get to that in a second because AI is a very hot topic around here. Uh, oh, yeah. So just give us an overview. Uh, what do you think is the lay of the land of the world of PR right now as we sit in uh, what will be February 2024? Well, I have to tell you, I think it's a fascinating time to be involved in PR slash strategic communications. I mean, the pace of change is incredible, uh, and that certainly includes the advancements in technology. Roles continue to blur. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, workplace, uh, you know, conflict, all these crazy things going on. 
And uh, you know, to, to your question, I, I think it might be interesting to bring up a recent study I saw uh, last year by Corn Ferry that reported that roughly 40% of all chief communications officers report into the CEO. Okay. So that's a pretty good stat. I would argue, Todd, that number's way too low, that it needs to be much higher. Mm. Why? Yeah. Now more than ever, we just talked about the complexity of business, the rapid advancements in technology, social media, every, everywhere you turn around, the cancel culture. We just need to have uh, the ability to, uh, you know, have uh, to be a part of the senior leadership team, which has been something I've been fortunate enough to be in, in many of my roles mm -hmm. uh, over the last couple of decades. And, uh, you know, when done right, I would argue that the strategic comms PR function can serve as the conscience of the organization. Okay, okay. I think you need to be students of the business. I think that's rule number one, and that is, you know, not negotiable. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, our ability, our, our ability to storytell, to strategize, to understand when a crisis is coming, to lead through a crisis, all those things, um, you know, for us to be the most successful and to add the most value to the organization, I really believe that reporting structure should be directly into the CEO. Wow. So do you believe that puts undue work or pressure on the CEO? Because I feel like that's more that they have to manage. Or, You know, that's a great question. But I think what happens is, if again, if it's done right, uh, the CCO is uh, a trusted advisor uh, you know, to the CEO. Yeah. And is a part of the senior management team. I've I've seen obviously over, over the course of my career so many different iterations of where the PR function reports into. Yeah, uh, legal is one, HR, marketing, uh, IR in some cases, uh, and you can make you can make the argument for for any of those. But I think because uh, you know when you've got the right CCO and the right PR team. You're going to be spending a lot of time with this with the CEO. You're going to be a trusted advisor. It would not be more work. It'd be more work to do it otherwise. I think. Oh, that's that's big. That's a good point. And you know, it's also a learning experience for the people who are reporting to the CEO. I remember. I worked at a company once and I was a copywriter and I never had any FaceTime with the CEO whatsoever. And then one day he calls me into the office because. I probably wrote a really dumb headline and got pulled right in and he sat me down. And he was like, Perry, huh? You know, and it was a total, it was like an episode of the Simpsons. It was like Simpson, eh? You know, and sat down, but he actually in 20 minutes, he taught me more about my job. And I remember everything he told me in that meeting about communications, you know? And so it was actually really valuable uh, for me as someone who r reported to him. That brings back a lot of memories, but uh, please continue. <laughs> Uh, I was also thinking, uh, one way that you're helping your clients is through a very simple strategy or simple method that sounds simple, but it's really effective and your uh, clients have really enjoyed it. And you call it the three-legged stool? Sure. Yeah. Um, the three-legged stool is just a concept I've come up with over time on how to really uh, suggest to clients the value of what we do as PR professionals and strategic counselors. So uh, it's easy to explain, uh, not so easy to, to <laughs> execute, obviously, uh, but the three-legged stool uh, is, encompasses the following three things. It's uh, strategic media relations slash earned media. Uh, the second component is strategic uh, uh, social media content. 
and uh, LinkedIn uh, for many clients, but obviously other platforms for, for others. And then the third leg of that three-legged stool is targeted, uh, you know, targeted uh, external speaking opportunities. And I think when you combine the three, they really are uh, uh, compelling and, and uh, effective elements to a, a thought leadership campaign that works. And explaining it in this way, uh, this concept uh, is really resonating with clients. Okay. Is it resonating? Well, obviously it's resonating because there's great results from it, but mm -hmm. it, does it also resonate because it takes something like PR that might be kind of complex for them to understand and turns it into something packageable? You know that, okay, I get this. I get how this is going to help propel our idea or propel our brand. I think that's, that's a very fair point, Todd. I think many conversations with clients and potential clients uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, you know, due diligence exercise. You know, what are, what are your key priorities? What are your key objectives? Uh, what are you looking to do this year? What are your pain points? And then when you have that information, uh, it's much easier to then say, okay, well, here's what I can do for you. Here's what we can do together. And that's where the three-legged stool comes in because I've, been, I've found that after, after ascertaining all that information, by explaining here are three things we could do today, mm -hmm. right, to really get things started, uh, it really makes it simple for the client to understand what's possible. All right. Uh, and it's also a great example of you're in the world of communications, being an effective communicator internally, you know, when, when talking to the client. Uh, also, when it comes to crisis communication, you have a lot of crisis communication there. Uh, experience, you said that there's a really important early warning signal that you've come to understand that might be a harbinger of things to come. Can you, uh, can you explain that a bit for our audience? Sure. Yeah. I mean, th th another uh, expression I love to use with clients is early warning signal. So what does this mean? Well, I like to refer to strategic news and social media monitoring as the early warning signal for trouble, right? Yeah. Uh, Pre-crisis, early stages of crisis. And uh, this basically is something I talk about to alert clients to a crisis situation. And frankly, many times uh, before an organization realizes what's happening and that is a problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many great tools out there. As you know, I just personally like Meltwater for their technology oh. and options, but there are many others. Um, and this is such an important thing, Todd, to you don't need to have 40 people doing it, right? But uh, it's a, an ongoing critical thing to always be searching uh, for both for, from the news organizations, what are news organizations saying about you and what what is being said about you on social media platforms. Many times social media commentary is your first clue to a major problem. So that's what the early warning signal is. So it could be often, uh, if depending on the company, it could be people who use their product, customers that are unhappy with something, or uh, could you could you dive a little deeper into that? Sure. Um, a lot of times, uh, executives don't necessarily know when there are problems, and a lot of times, your first you know uh, line of defense is your is the you know, your sales team, you know, your frontline employee who's dealing every day on a day-to-day -day basis with clients. And so opportunities like Reddit, for example, uh, yeah. where people, uh, you know, 
unhappy customers in this age of social media, uh, you know, no bad deed goes unpunished, right? Right, right. <laughs> and so to your point, I mean, uh, to monitor Reddit on, on a daily, hourly basis is one example, uh, where customers will tell you, maybe not to your face, but customers will use social media to complain. And frequently, uh, one comment begets another. And so that's mm -hmm. where uh, maybe a better example of how to mon use the early warning signal to be a, uh, uh, you know, a, you know, the first, first example of there's a problem. Right. Uh, this goes to the idea, somebody I was interviewing once, I forget who once said that uh, PR is 24 seven and that often people come, you know, clients come to PR people only when there's already a problem. Uh, when, if they were, you know, working with the Waterman Group, they would see that, you know, in, in order to prevent one from happening in the first place is the best situation to be in. And by using these proactive measures, you can really, you know, help people out. But clients out there, potential clients have to understand that PR is a 24-7 business. I think that's a great point because many times a client will come to you where the problem is already evident. Uh, perhaps they have a plan, but many companies don't have a crisis communications plan, which really is kind of, you know, really concerning if you think about it. And to your point, yeah. uh, people that really don't know uh, the value of PR and how, you know, we work, uh, you know, as an industry, you know, as, as a team, uh, hey, I have this problem, fix it. And right. those are, that's a challenging conversation to have with a potential client or a client where you say, well, here's what we can do. And sometimes, uh, you know, you have many, many times there are uh, those tough conversations you have to have either with a CEO, you know, uh, or with a client or a CEO yeah. client. And to your point, a lot of times uh, the ship has left the station and it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Can I use yeah. any more uh, cliches to, to, to make that point. <laughs> <laughs> all, all is forgiven here. Maybe maybe we'll bleep you later. You know, be like, okay. boop, you know, cl cliche alert here. Um, so, you uh, know, it's also, I was speaking to somebody on this show recently, and it was an interesting new thing that came up, because you're talking about monitoring social media. There's also a thing where people now have to monitor AI, because there can be things that come up uh, when, when people are doing chat GPT and they're talking about a company or they're talking about a specific person, the information comes up that's untrue and potentially damaging. And so AI is creating its own new wave of potential crisis. That's very true. And um, I think every organization needs to make sure that the data they're working with uh, has been ethically uh, has been scrubbed and, and has been you know found ethically and morally. Mm. Uh, it is something that is going to become you know it's something that, that's here to stay and it's going to be a conversation this very topic for many years to come and it, it's it's going to be uh, you know uh, it's going to take a village to make sure mm. that AI is uh, developed um, you know in a in an ethical moral legal way and. Uh, you know, it's and you have to make sure that things are accurate. But this is going to be a very, very big issue for, for years to come. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm not going to dock you for saying it takes a village. That's still, it's not quite, you know, uh, <laughs> to the cliche level we got last time. But I'm no, kidding. I, 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 I would argue that 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 that, that tells, you know, a, 
that might be the better of the other ones, right? Because really, yeah. AI is global, right? This whole, right. you know, uh, responsible AI, I think it's called responsible AI for good reason. It's a huge challenge and it, it is global. So that, so that's what I was thinking about when I said take the building. But. Well, I, I, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, uh, what are some great examples about how to handle a crisis? We were talking about, A, the early warning sign, getting ahead of it. What are some other great examples for how people can handle a crisis? Well, crisis communications is such a critical part of, of what we do as, as PR professionals. And, you know, due diligence and getting the facts probably is a starting point of any crisis response. But let me give you an example or two uh, of, I, of, I think, you know, how to handle a crisis. And one of them is, is, is uh, they'll both be direct, direct experience that I've had. Uh, picture this. You're on vacation. You get a call from a Boston TV station that a customer claims that his phone exploded, oh. his, uh, his smartphone exploded, and that a TV crew is on, on the way to a local store to, uh, to do a story. So you're like, oh, boy, what do you do? Well, mm -hmm. uh, I call the store. You know, I've, I found out that the battery in question had overheated quite a bit. Uh, the customer had a slight burn, um, and it turned out he was using an aftermarket battery. Yeah. So, you know, you think through, okay, do we go on camera, do we not? And I thought it was really important to go on camera because, you know, the last thing you want to do is have, you know, the, the public, the media think, you know, what are you hiding, right? Why would you right. go on camera? And then that tends to make things a bigger controversy than sometimes the situation act, that sometimes the situation is. And that's true in this example. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, what I tried to do is turn this opportunity to educate the public on buying approved batteries. Um, and the result was we went on camera at the store. Uh, the interview went well. The piece was balanced. And it was a one-day news cycle. But picture Great. what could have happened, Todd. This could have been a major issue. Can you imagine if if people have widespread concerns that their farts, that their their smartphones are explode, truly exploding? Yeah, that could have been a monumental crisis. So I think we were able to uh, head that off of the passing. Yeah, and if you didn't say anything, right, then the problem just would have blown up, and it, it would have gone to become almost an industry wide problem. Exactly right. Exactly right, and that's what we tried to guard against. And you know the. the that this could have been, uh, we, we avoided, but this could have been, can you imagine how, this could have been a global problem yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. from a perception standpoint. So uh, you know, that one worked out well. There's another one, and I can give many more examples, and I, I know in the interest of time, I'll, I'll try to be brief, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, of other, you know, as challenging, more challenging, but a lot of it includes proprietary information. So let me instead share one that I'm really proud of, and hopefully you'll, you'll think it's a good example. Great. Um, so uh, let me refer to Verizon here for a second. Uh, you know, uh, I spent over a decade leading the, the comms team. Every comms you can think of, internal, external, social media, crisis, uh, networking technology, uh, you know, uh, product and product launches, et cetera. Well, uh, the Northeast operation was, was the job, and uh, it was a really massive operation. Tens of billions of dollars in revenue, 19,000 employees. Uh, you know, to, to communicate to strategically, uh, to make sure they knew what the, you know, talk about the culture, enhance the culture, all those fun things. Well, uh, there was this young lady. She was 24 years old. She was a call center employee. She had two kids, three and under. 
she was tragically murdered by her boyfriend. Oh. So clearly, you know, a, a massive catastrophe. Uh, crushing, right? Uh, for mm-hmm. years, Verizon's community focus was domestic violence prevention and awareness. Oh. And as one of my mentors, uh, Jim Gerace, he's now retiring Verizon chief communications officer. What he taught me years ago was everything communicates. Right. Everything yeah. communicates. And again, we used to say uh, we used to say in a communications class in, in uh, college, you can't not not communicate. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a bunch of double negatives turning into a positive. But I mean, clearly, <laughs> this is Paul. You know, this is another concept that is easy to understand, but hmm. not so easy to execute. So, tragic situation. Her colleagues were crushed. Her family. The incident really spread quickly around the company. Employees talked to each other, obviously, especially those in the same department. Back to the point of everything communicates. Employees were watching. What are you going to do here? To help our, you know, our friend who was tragically murdered. And so I was thinking about this a lot at the time. And, uh, you know, snapshot in time, I was also planning college savings for my kids at this particular juncture. Mm. And it hit me. What if we give a $10,000 donation to the family so they could start a 529 college savings account for the two kids? Oh, that's great. That's great. And senior leadership loved it. They quickly got on board. They approved it. We approached the victim's mother. We did everything, obviously, uh, according to, uh, uh, you know, company policies and protocols. It was very emotional, obviously. The, the account was set up and it was accepted. And wow. so, I, I mean, this isn't, you could argue, Todd, this isn't like a phone exploding crisis, right. but it could have been an internal crisis if to the culture and to, if we did not do the right thing to help this individual. And... I was thrilled that the company uh, did it and that it was so easy to do. And I'm very proud of the outcome. And, uh, and I really hope that uh, it, it went to a great cause, which is the education of our two young children. Yeah, that's a really incredible example of threading the needle. You know, it's a, a misstep there would be disastrous and, and seem heartless. And there's so many different ways that could go wrong. And Yeah, and one of the things, one of the pushback. Uh, that I got, uh, although it wasn't huge, but was, well, you know, if we do this for one employee, do we have to do this for all? And I tried to explain that um, this is a, hopefully, you know, we all would pray that this was a uh, an anomaly and not something that happens more. And it does happen all the time, domestic violence. It's horrific. And uh, we came up with some really great things to help, but um, I was able to, pa- to push through that. Let's see. So let's get into AI for a sec, because you just uh, became uh, the chief executive in residence of communications at AI 2030. And just to reiterate, uh, its mission is to harness the transformative power of AI and influence the ethical and responsible progression of AI development. Uh, so the, the question is, A, what are your concerns about AI? I think the concerns are obvious. Uh, I think that the mission that you mentioned at AI 2030 is an extremely important one, and I'm very pleased and proud that I was asked to be a part of it. Uh, You know, it's, excuse me, I think the obvious things that come to mind are the need to implement AI ethically and responsibly, as we've been talking about, and to confirm accuracy of information, Mm -hmm. clearly guarding against the downside. Uh, you know, focus on ethical adoption. 
And it's critical uh, now more than ever, I would think, with AI that there are best practices that are shared broadly, that governance is second to none, that guardrails are in place. Uh, so really that we, you know, so humanity can focus on leveraging AI as a transformational opportunity mm-hmm. for innovation. I mean, it's probably the, the, the largest opportunity in that vein in years. You know, you know, the Internet was huge. Wireless technology was huge. Connectivity, excuse me, this clearly is has the opportunity to be as big, if not bigger. Right. So um, I, I think that the, the concerns are clear and. The guardrails are going to be really, really crucial. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it feels like it's something that's going to be forever changing, you know, wherever the guardrails are. And the thing that worries me is that responsible users of AI or uh, certain, you know, countries that are trying to be responsible with it will put in, hopefully, you know, some type of guardrails if necessary, but then there will also be so many opportunities to take advantage of this technology that bad actors, wherever they may be, uh, will have that as an advantage, you know, because they're using the full breadth of technology uh, and potentially for, you know, uh, harmful reasons. That's that's the scary part is it's like once the genie's out of the bottle, you know, as just... As we said earlier, talk about genies and bottles, uh, then then it's a problem, right? You know. Yeah, I mean, clearly, we want to collectively accelerate the positive and the transformational opportunities for innovation, and minimize, as you said, the potential adverse impacts. Um, I'm not typically a huge fan of regulation, yeah. uh, but I think in this case, innovation and regulation are going to have to go hand in hand. I know that's probably an odd combination for, for many, but to leverage AI for true innovation and to accelerate that transformation, um, there's got to be a focus on making sure the bad actors cannot uh, do their thing. And I, right. I, I think I, so I think we all have concerns about that. But, you know, I believe, you know, I believe in being an optimism, being, you know, optimistic. And, you know, one thing I think we all could do is get, really educated as much on the topic as much as possible Mm -hmm. uh, because there's a whole lot of information out there. Some of it's accurate, some of it is not. And there are many free trainings to take advantage of that, that I think is something we all should be thinking about. So there are a lot of, a lot of free resources out there. uh, And that's something I think we should all be thinking about. Oh yeah. That's, that's great. Great. Well, uh, Howard, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on PR360 today and for joining the Two Timers Club on the show. We really appreciate it. How can people who are listening follow up with what you're doing? Uh, What's the call to action today? Well, I really appreciate your time, Todd. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, The Waterman Group, uh, you know, we serve all sorts of clients with full service, start to finish. We have uh, a number of uh, partners in marketing as well. Uh, so it's you can just check out me on check me out on LinkedIn and uh, you know uh, or, you know I've, I have my email address on there as well and I'd love to hear from you if I can help. Thank you so much, Howard, and uh, thank you everybody for listening to PR three hundred and sixty. We'll be back next week with another great guest. PR three hundred and sixty was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. 
follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.